Hello and welcome to our sermon series, Fake News. This week, our Pastor Trevor will lead us in Lightning Can't Strike Twice. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome again. It's so great to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. We are in the middle of our series called Fake News. We are in week three. I want to ask you a question. I wonder if you've ever bought a lottery ticket. The National Lottery, one of those things. I remember when the the lottery first started. I remember on the first week of the National Lottery, I bought a ticket. Don't go judging me. I bought a ticket on the first week. And you know what? I didn't win the jackpot. And I thought, that's the last time I'm going to waste a pound. No more. No more wasted pounds. I didn't win. No point carrying on. But there are people who buy lottery tickets week after week after week, despite the odds of not winning. And I've always wondered, what about those who always buy a lottery ticket and then win? They've won the jackpot, those lottery winners. I wonder if they carry on buying a lottery ticket. I suspect they don't. But of all people who should keep buying a lottery ticket, it should be them. They've proven that the system works. They've proven that you can win it. They know it works. All the rest of the people who week after week haven't won continue doing it. But these people who have won the lottery, despite all the odds, they are the ones who could be buying the lottery ticket. I think you and I know that they don't. And why don't they? Because the odds are so highly unlikely of winning What's the chance of you winning twice? It couldn't happen twice, could it? Well, welcome this morning to Fake News, part three, lightning can't strike twice. Week one was working through the story of Jonah. Week one, Annie was preaching. And we was looking at how uh, Jonah did not do what God called him to do and went the opposite way. But despite that, God wasn't going to let him go. And Annie was preaching about how um, you can't have life your own way. God's going to have his way. Week two, I was continuing through the story of Jonah. And we got to that part in the story, the part that's most famous, about Jonah being thrown into the sea and being swallowed by a big fish. And I was talking last week about, can you really believe the Bible and what's in it? You know, Jonah is the highly unlikely story. This highly unlikely story that a man would be buried for three days. He'd be raised back to life and called to tell a people who were lost that they should repent. That story of a man being buried for three days, back to life, called to declare repentance to people. That's not a story that could happen twice, could it? Lightning can't really strike twice. Now, you might have noticed that I mentioned there about Jonah being buried and being raised back to life. This idea that Jonah had actually died. And you might go, oh, that's not what I thought would happen in the story. Well, we're going to get to that. I want to tell you this morning, I want to overthrow some assumptions today. There may be a few things that I say that twist you around and you go, that's not the way I thought it was. And I'll make sure I point them out as I go along. But what I realise is sometimes our assumptions that are not biblical, our assumptions that have come through assuming, through our own natural assumptions, or maybe through poor teaching or a Sunday school understanding, these assumptions can hold us back. They can hold us back from what God has called us to do. 
You know, talking about God calling us, God has called us to share the gospel with others. And I wonder how equipped you feel to share the gospel, to invite someone to know Jesus. I wonder how ready you feel for that. You know, most people assume that they don't have what it takes. They assume they're not up to the job. I wonder if if you were told to go out and share the gospel, how inadequate do you feel? How ill-equipped do you feel to share your faith? Have you tried? Have you tried sharing your faith with someone? And especially have you tried and it went nowhere? (laughs) You gave it your best shot, tried everything you could, and they just didn't seem to buy it. They didn't seem to take you up on the offer. They just weren't interested. Or maybe, well, that's fascinating. I'm pleased for you, but it's not what I believe. You know, if Jesus is so great, why do people reject the offer of coming to salvation with Jesus? If salvation is so great, why do people turn it down? And what more do you have to do to get them to see? Jesus called us to be fishers of men. What does it take to be a good fisher? I tried fishing once or twice. I'm not a good fisher. I think Mr. Curtis is a good fisher. David Curtis, he's good at fishing. But Jesus called us to be fishers of men. And what does it take to be a good fisher? Well, get ready to have some assumptions overturned. Because I want to turn some of our assumptions about ourselves and some of our assumptions about this story, I want to turn them around today. We're going to look at the story of Jonah. We're carrying on in this story of Jonah, but we're taking a slight detour on the story of Jonah, and we're going to look at the story of Jonah through Jesus' eyes. And by doing that, it's going to teach us something about this story, something I don't think we would see just by reading the book of Jonah, but by looking at Jonah through Jesus' eyes, it's going to teach us something, and it's going to teach us about what it takes to share the gospel. You know, and of all the times of the year as we head towards Christmas, this is our peak season. This is the opportune moment, even in lockdown, even though there's no carol services, this opportunity at Christmas with friends or family or online, this is ripe for taking an opportunity to share, to share about Jesus. So let's learn from Jesus. Let's learn from his view and let's overturn some wrong thinking. Some wrong thinking that's held us back and held us back from being equipped so that we could be the fishers of men that Jesus has called us to be. Well, we're not going to be looking in Jonah to begin with. I want to turn in the Bible to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, where Matthew uh, tells us about Jesus talking to some religious leaders. And in Matthew chapter 12, just verses 38 to 41, we read this where Jesus mentions Jonah. It says in verse 38 of Matthew 12, One day, some teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. So will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone 
greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. This is a story in a time where the religious leaders are saying to Jesus, go on then, go on then, prove it. If you're who you say you are, you prove it to us. And like the, the cynical world that we live in today, this world of fake news and, and hard to tell what the truth is and, and cynicism and skepticism, these people, like many people today, want proof. If you've heard people say, well, if God does this, if he answers my prayer in this way, then I'll believe that he's real. Or maybe people have looked to you and said, well, can you prove it? How can you prove it? Can you prove that God exists? Maybe even some people say, show me a miracle. Prove that a miracle happened. You know, Jesus taught here that it's an evil generation that demands a sign of God, that says, go on, God, prove yourself. And Jesus uses the story of Jonah that we're becoming more familiar with to tell them there's just one sign, one proof, one bit of evidence that matters. The key proof, the key sign, he said, was his death and his resurrection. The same sign as Jonah gave. But we, we thought Jonah was alive for three days, didn't we? Isn't that what most people believe in the story of Jonah, that Jonah's alive? Well, I want to tell you, I don't believe Jonah was alive, and lots of Bible studiers, theologians, don't. It's the assumption number one, I would say. One of those assumptions we've just had that Jonah's, of course, he's alive. But I don't think the Bible tells us that. We gloss through the story of Jonah with the assumption that Jonah's alive. But Jesus says, my sign is the same as Jonah's sign. Jesus wasn't alive for three days, nor was Jonah. But Jonah even tells us that. If we just take a few verses back in Jonah chapter 2, the, the prayer that Jonah was praying that I read to you last week, just hear some of these verses that Jonah describes what had happened to him prior to him being able to pray to the Lord. It says this in Jonah chapter 2, verse 5. He says, he's talking about the experience in the water. He says, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. It says the weeds were wrapped about my head. When you fall into water, into deep water, you don't hit the weeds until you hit the bottom. He's describing the fact that he has gone from the boat in the raging sea through the water to the bottom. The deep is surrounding, the weeds are surrounding his head and he is closing, it says the water's closed in over me to take my life. Verse seven, he's almost describing his final breaths. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. He's saying, just in my final breath, I prayed to you, God. And what's more, in, uh, verse, in verse two of Jonah chapter two, he says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now, we're not as familiar with this word Sheol. Sheol, in the Old Testament, is used repeatedly throughout the Old Testament to describe a place called the land of the dead. If you read these verses in the New Living Translation, it actually uses the land of the dead and not Sheol. But I thought most of us believe that the dead go to heaven or to hell. So what's this Sheol? Well, again, let me just break another assumption that we've had. Before Jesus came, the whole of the Old Testament 
It doesn't describe a heaven and a hell. It describes Sheol, the land of the dead. The assumption that we have, especially when you're reading the Old Testament about heaven and hell, I'll explain it a bit more, but the Old Testament, when people died, the Bible says they went to Sheol, a place of the dead, where the dead went. And for three days, Jonah's body was entombed in a fish, but his soul was in Sheol. That's where he says he cried out from. What it says is, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. He says, I was in the land of the dead. My soul was in the land of the dead. And from there, I cried out to the Lord. And then resurrection occurs. Three days later, he finds himself in the belly of a fish, raised back to life from Sheol and then spewed out onto land. This man, Jonah, goes into the water. His body and his soul separate. His body is entombed in a fish. His soul is in Sheol. And three days later, they're reunited and he is resurrected. You know, Jonah and Jesus have a lot in common. You know, we might think of Jonah as this old, obscure story in the Old Testament, but Jesus thought that this story really mattered. He thought it was true. He speaks about it in truthful terms. And it's a story that Jesus says parallels his own. Now, we're on to one of my most favourite topics in studying the Bible, which I could get totally distracted onto. A thing called typology. This idea that there are people and things in the Bible that parallel Jesus. And Jonah is one of those, one of the clearest ones, because Jesus says the sign of Jonah is like my sign. It's about the idea that Jonah has some parallels with Jesus. And Jesus shows us that because he wants us to teach us something. And particularly for us today, it's to teach us about the gospel, about how people respond to the gospel, about who Jesus is and how he is far greater than Jonah. You know, whenever someone parallels to Jesus, there's lessons to be learned. This is why I love this subject about typology. When you look at things in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that are foreshadowing Jesus, I get really excited. I'm going to try and stay on topic this morning though, and just talk about these parts of Jonah's life that parallel Jesus and show us something that we need to learn from. Three things that we need to learn about Jesus. And the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus is the better speaker. Jesus is the better speaker. Both Jonah and Jesus go to speak to a people God's message. And just contrast them. Just look at how they differ. This is where the, the typology comes in. Not all, everything um, um, mirrors each other. Some of it are parallel but opposites. Just look at this. Jonah ran away from God's call. Jesus ran into God's call. Jonah didn't want forgiveness to be given. Jesus freely gave forgiveness to sinners. You know, Jonah was the rebellious prophet and Jesus was the obedient prophet, the son of God. You know, it, spoke, it speaks in Jonah that Jonah recognises that God made the heavens and the earth. Jesus made the heavens and the earth. 
Jonah spoke the shortest sermon ever, I think, one sentence. Jesus spoke a lot. He performed miracles. Jesus is the better speaker by anyone's estimation. Jesus is more qualified. He's more holy. He's more able to speak. He's more um, justified in his message. Think about this. I mean, I don't think I need to convince anyone that Jesus is the better speaker. But contrast the results. Jonah saw a whole town of rebellious sinners repent. Jesus saw a whole town of religious leaders rebel. Jonah, repentance, he sees. Jesus, rebellion, he sees. Nineveh, when they heard the gospel, cried out to God. Jerusalem, when they heard the gospel, crucified God. Do you see something here? You know, we often feel inadequate to share our faith. We think, I don't have the words, I'm too sinful, or I'm not mature enough, or I don't have the answers, or I'm scared, or I don't want to be rejected. But when you compare Jesus and Jonah, what we discover is that that impact of the gospel is not dependent upon who the speaker is. If it was, Jesus would have far greater results than Jonah did. It's another one of our assumptions. An assumption that those who are well equipped to share the gospel, they're the ones that get the salvations. And I want to tell you, the Bible teaches us that the effectiveness of the gospel message at people actually responding to the gospel has nothing to do with the speaker. Jesus exemplified this. The best speaker, the most qualified, the most preeminent got rejected. Jonah, the worst of speakers, the least qualified, the most rebellious prophet, sees revival break out. The results they saw was not dependent upon the speaker. I mean, do you think Jonah can actually take credit for a revival breaking out in Nineveh? <laughs> you do know that you can't and you don't save anyone. The Holy Spirit does the work, not the speaker, not the evangelist, not the preacher, not you or I, when we share our faith, we don't do the work. The Holy Spirit does the work. John 16 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of their sin. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the, the gift of the Spirit is faith. That gift of faith that enables people to believe is a gift through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus in John 3, he described being born again and he said, the wind blows where it wills and you can't tell where it's come from or where it's going. Jesus is saying, when salvation occurs, you didn't know where it was coming from. The Holy Spirit is blowing and it's mysterious. You know, when God draws you, when God draws you, irrespective of the speaker, you have to respond. John 5 teaches us that. When God calls someone, they respond. You know, I saw this very personally um, happen for Karen, my wife Karen. When Karen and I first started dating, she was not a believer, but because we loved each other and we were just in each other's pockets all the time, she would come to church with me. And after a few months of coming to church, she's there, she's heard some you know, great preachers and some great messages. But on one Sunday evening, there was this, this guy, he's dead now actually, his name was Alan. And Alan 
the nicest thing I can say, I mean, Alan was a great man of God, but he was not a great preacher. He was boring. He was to me at my age. I mean, I was 16 at the time. And Alan did not thrill me with his preaching. He was slow and monotone and went off onto very strange angles of, you know, I remember him once talking about E equals MC squared in, in his preach, like that was something biblical. He was just not my kind of preacher and not Karen's. And not full of life, I would say. He knew Jesus, but he didn't know how to share Jesus in his preaching, bless him. And I sat through one of his sermons, just like willing the time to go, like, are we there yet? And then he finished preaching. And then we had a closing song. And then I see Karen walking up the church aisle to the front to give her life to Jesus. You speak to Karen, she can't hear a thing he said. <laughs> she was equally bored. But God used this man to speak. It's not about who the speaker is. It's about God doing his work. And so I want to tell you, you can do it. You are completely up to it because you don't need any qualifications to share Jesus. Jonah had no basis for speaking to the people or seeing the results he did. Jesus was the better speaker. So Jesus is the better speaker. The second lesson I want us to get is that Jesus is the better sign. Jesus spoke about a sign being given. Both Jonah and Jesus gave the same sign. This sign of death, and resurrection. Three days, Jesus in a tomb, Jonah in a well, dead, resurrected. The same signs, both bodies in, 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 entombed somewhere, both spirit and body separated, both died and raised back to life, both in three days. But Jesus was the better sign. Jesus says that himself about himself. Jesus was the faithful servant. He was the forgiver. Jesus was the Holy One, never sinning. He was the one who didn't deserve death. He did not deserve the punishment put upon him. And he rose in power. You know, it says in this passage where Jesus is speaking, he says, just look at these two examples. Jonah, the unworthy prophet with a naff old sermon, sees a whole city turn and repent. And Jesus says, I'm the greater sign. And the people of Nineveh will rise up on the judgment day and look at the people of Jerusalem and go, how did you miss it? They will condemn them and go, look, we even responded to Jonah and you had the son of God in your midst and you didn't respond. Jesus says, my death and my resurrection is the greater sign. That miracle of resurrection in Jesus is the biggest, greatest sign ever towards God. You know, I believe in miracles. I believe that God still does miracles today. I believe the Holy Spirit moves in miraculous power and I'd love to see more miracles. You know, God uses miracles to touch lives, to show his love, to set people free from afflictions and illness and things like this. But don't be fooled. God doesn't save people through miracles. It's another one of those assumptions I want to bust here. Oh, the assumption that says, if God, if, if this friend of mine, if God just did a miraculous sign, they would then believe. Don't be fooled. That's not the truth. Jesus fed 5,000 people, but they weren't saved. 
They weren't there shouting for him when it came to crucifixion time. Jesus heals 10 lepers, miraculously heals 10 lepers. Nine of them just wander off. Only one comes back even to say, thank you. There's a, there's a parable that Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man. And this parable that Jesus tells talks about how there was a rich man and a poor man and they both died. And it talks about this place, Sheol, this place where the dead all went to. And all the righteous people in one place of Sheol and all the unrighteous in another. And, and the rich man calls to Lazarus in Sheol and says to him, go and tell my brothers. And Jesus, when he's telling this, rather pointedly at the end, he says in this parable, he says, if they didn't believe the prophets, the signs that were given, they won't even believe a dead man raising back to life. And it was true. You read in Matthew 28 when it talks about Jesus just before the Great Commission. It talks about how Jesus was raised back from the dead. And it said, but some doubted. There's the Son of God in their midst. The greater sign than Jonah. The most amazing sign in their midst. The Son of God raised back to life. They'd have seen him on a cross. They'd have seen the holes in his hands and the hole in his side. They can see him, but some doubted. You know what? If Jesus never did another miracle, you know, we look for these other miracles just to prove to people, the people around Jesus, some doubted. He says in the Lazarus story, if, even if a man comes back from the dead, if, they don't, if they're not gonna believe in the prophets, they won't believe in this. And we look for other signs, but if Jesus never did another miracle, I want you to know he's already done enough. And that's not because I'm not hungry to see more miraculous power at work in our world around us and see God break through in that way. But I don't want to see it because I believe it will convince people. Because Jesus has already done enough. His sign is great enough. That's what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders around them. He was saying to them, this sign that I'm going to do, like Jonah is great enough. If you are not going to believe in the sign of my death and my resurrection, the people of Nineveh are going to stand up on judgment and go, how did you not get it? They will condemn them for not believing. And even though we are 2,000 years since Jesus walking around for 40 days, it's another one of those parallel bits. <laughs> Jonah preached to the Ninevites and said, 40 days you've got. Jesus raised from the dead. He has 40 days on the earth before he ascends. Just another one of those nice little things where you see these working in parallel. But, you know, we still have this sign today. Even though we're not in those 40 days, we're 2,000 years later. We still have the sign of Jesus' resurrection. Just think about this. Who else in the whole of history of the whole world has had the impact that Jesus has had? Not just his teaching, his death and his resurrection who else in the whole of his history has had this impact? The course of human history has been changed by that man. We live in a world changed by the events 2,000 years ago. The impact of the Bible, the most popular book on the planet, you know, out of all the statistics, the Bible impacted the whole world. It's its popularity, the profoundity of its words, the, the, the reverence that even people who don't believe, God, this is a, a marvellous work of literature, let alone the power in it, the amount of copies of the Bible that have been out throughout history, how it's been reprinted and put into other languages. This impact still is with us today. This sign of Jesus is with us today.
the number of believers across the world who have committed themselves to Jesus and say, oh, I'm a Christian. The charities, the charities that, that are motivated by the Christians around the world to go in his name. The people who give financially because they are moved by their faith in Jesus. The martyrs that have laid down their lives in the face of opposition, the persecuted church right now, not giving up because of their faith in Jesus. These are the signs, the greater sign than Jonah of Jesus at work. I was thinking about this the other day. I was looking at my hands. I've got tiny little scars on my hands. Little scars, I've got a little scar here. That came from a knife that I accidentally slid down there by accident. There's a, there's a scar on the end of my knuckle here, on the end of my finger, where I fell off a bike when I was young. There's definitely a scar here on my elbow where I had a really bad bike crash when I was young. You can't see the incidents that happened, but you can see the effect that it's had with these tiny little scars. You go visit the Grand Canyon or go watch it on a YouTube video. You can't see the torrent of water that went through there, but you can see the sign of its effect. The world we see around us, do you know there are over 2 billion Christians in the world right now? Over 2 billion Christians. It's the largest faith on the planet, followers of Jesus. And just because we see skepticism in our country around us, do not be doubtful. The effect of Jesus is still ongoing. Don't ever doubt that there's anything extra that's needed to convince anybody. You don't need anything more than has already been shown. Jesus is the better sign. Jesus is the better sign. And thirdly, I would say, from this message that we're seeing, Jesus is the better story. Jesus is the better story. And what I mean by that is, I know that repentance is seen as an old-fashioned word. And as a mode of evangelism, we put it into the, some ages past. But you know, Jonah's message was a message to the Ninevites that said, repent, repent from your sin. And John the Baptist's message was a message of repent. Jesus' message was a message of repentance. I know Jesus loved and he healed, but don't miss out the fact that Jesus called the world around him to repent. Matthew 4, 17, Luke 5, 32, Luke 13, verses 3, verse 5. Go to them, if you could catch that quick enough. Look it up. Jesus said, repent. So this message that comes out, this message, this story of Jesus is the greater story. You know, Paul gives us a clue, a great clue of how he went to tell this story of Jesus. Let me read to you how how Paul described telling this. This is how he says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he's reminding the Corinthians of how he went about sharing his faith with them. And he says this in verses 1 to 5 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, 
that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Just look at what Paul says here about how he went about telling the story of Jesus. He says he wasn't focused on the eloquence of his speech. Like we said earlier, it doesn't matter who's doing the speaking. He said, what I focused on was the power of God. Now, I suspect if you've read these verses before, you may look and go, oh, but Trev, you said that miracles aren't going to make the difference. Because we see the words power and we think like healing and miracles. And again, don't get me wrong, I believe the Holy Spirit still moves in power, in healing and miracles. But Paul is not referring to that here. Paul is referring to the power of the gospel. Paul is talking about the same thing he talks about in Romans. In Romans 1.16, he says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the power, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He says in these verses already, it's the demonstration of the spirit and of power. The spirit convicts, the spirit pours in faith, the spirit regenerates and brings life. The gospel is the power of God. That's what Romans 1.16 tells us. It's the power of God for salvation. So never be ashamed of the gospel of calling to repentance, of saying that salvation is found in Jesus. Never be ashamed. That's what Romans 1.16 also says. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the power of God. There is power in the gospel story, the story of Jesus. That's why Paul said, you know, when I come to you, it wasn't in flash words. I made sure that I made nothing more important, nothing more important than telling you about Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, we've got the whole Bible to choose from to tell people about. But Paul said, I, I chose the best story, the best story, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. I want to tell you today, as we are challenged and encouraged to share our faith with others. No, it's not about who you are. It doesn't matter. Look at Jonah, look at Jesus. It doesn't matter who the speaker is. And, you know, it doesn't need more miracles. The story of Jesus, the gospel, is where the power is held. And so I would say to you, get to Jesus. When you are telling people about your faith, get to Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. If you have been healed miraculously, your healing isn't the gospel. If you have found peace in the midst of the storm of life and you found serenity and God's peace, that is not the gospel. If you've loved being at church and you want to tell everyone how friendly your church is and how loving and how helpful they have been, that is not the gospel. If you found unexplainable joy that just thrilled your heart and you just love worshipping or just being a follower of Jesus and you've got joy in your heart, that is not the gospel. They are pointers to the gospel. Your story is a pointer to the story. You have a story. I have a story. It's important. We shouldn't lose our story. But another assumption I think that we've made I thought I might have even taught this once before, actually, thinking about it, is that your story, you know, is the thing. But your story is the means of getting you to the story. If you don't get to Jesus, when you tell people about your faith, 
If you don't get to Jesus, you didn't get to the gospel. If you, if you get to feeling peace, if you get to being welcomed in the church, if you get to being healed or, or finding just a giddiness in your heart, it's great. But if you don't get to Jesus, you don't get to the gospel. And the gospel, the story of Jesus, this gospel story, that's where the power is. Because Jesus is the better story. He's the better story than the story of Jonah. He's the better story than the story of your life and my life. He is the best story. I wonder if you've ever asked anybody. I wonder if you've ever asked anyone, do you know what a Christian believes? You'd be amazed what people think Christians believe. I wonder if you've ever asked them, can I tell you what I believe as a Christian? Most people don't know what we believe. And you would tell them about, you know, can I tell you about my holiday I went on? Or can I tell you what I do for a job? Or things like that. Ask and say, do you know what I believe as a Christian? Can I tell you? You have a story. You can tell your story. But let your story show his story. Get to Jesus. Get to the gospel. Get to the fact that you were lost in your sins and you found forgiveness in Jesus. Get to the story that says Jesus took my sins on the cross and set me free. Get to the story that Jesus raised from the dead so that I can be raised from my dead life. Get to the story of Jesus. The power is in the story of Jesus. It's not in you as the speaker. It's not in the miracle. It's in the gospel. That is where the power for salvation is. You know, I'm getting close to the end of my message. And when I prepare preachers, when I think about preaching, I, I really try hard as I get to the end of the message to, to try to inspire you, to call you to action, to send you out, to build you up and send you out. And so as we're close to the end, I want to inspire you. I want to call you to action. Are you ready? Are you ready to be inspired? Are you ready to go out and share the story of Jesus? Not because you're some great speaker. No, we've done that one. Not because you need some miracle to show it. We've done that one. You get to go and tell the better story of Jesus. Are you ready to be encouraged and inspired? You ready? Let me tell you some great truths in the Bible. Firstly, this. Few people get saved. Few people get saved. When you share your faith, it's rare that someone will accept it. That's a biblical truth. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But the small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus prepares us. He says, only a few people are going to accept this. Get ready. Only a few people are going to accept it. Few people get saved. Be encouraged. <laughs> Let me give you a second encouragement. Most will reject you. <laughs> you even promised to be rejected in the word of God. This is what John 15 says. Jesus said in John 15 verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. He says the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you. It says, I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. So most won't respond. Most will reject you. Another encouragement, even those who listen 
rarely respond in the right way. The parable of the sower tells us that. If you're familiar with the parable of the sower, the, the sower is sowing seed on different types of ground. Only one bit of soil, only one place where the seed is sown actually grows. Everything else dies. It might start and then it will die. It might die completely. It might be going well and then be put off course. All these dodgy different paths. And God is the gardener. In this story, God is the gardener sowing the seed. He knows this seed of salvation is going out and only one of the paths it works on. Others reject it. Others are stony and hard. <laughs> Last bit of encouragement for you is this. Revivals are rare. So it's down to you and me. We have spent, as the global church, we've spent more time praying for revival than we've seen revival take place. And again, I believe in revivals. They have happened, they will happen, but they are rare. So we can't sit back and go, hey, the revival's gonna come and then people are gonna get saved. No, it's down to me and you. So now you're feeling really encouraged, aren't you? I can get that. You're feeling really encouraged. So what are you telling me, Trevor? That Few people are going to respond. Some of them, most of them are going to reject me. Even those who take the chance to listen, some of them haven't got the right soil, you know, and, and I can't wait around for a revival. Thanks, Trev. Well, I want to tell you, you're called to evangelize. You and I are called to evangelize, to share our faith. That is the great commission. We're all called to speak about Jesus. And so we can go faithfully into that, knowing the truth, not with the assumptions, not with the misunderstandings. I can go faithfully out to preach and share the gospel with others, not having to rest on myself. It's nothing to do with me. It's not my ability. It's not how eloquently I can put it. It's not because some miracle needs to occur. Even if this person needs a healing or a breakthrough, it's not dependent upon that. Jesus is enough. I can go knowing that if they reject me, they aren't rejecting me, they're rejecting Jesus. So with all these things, why bother? Well, I want to tell you, there is certainty in gospel sharing. It might be rare that you get a breakthrough, but there is certainty in this. I love these verses in John. John chapter 6. It's where I'm going to end this morning. I want you to get this because this is certain. It might not be your assumption. Your assumption might be, I get how it works if the evangelist preaches or if I say a good thing or if, if the breakthrough occurs. No, no, no. This is what Jesus tells us. This is the certainty that Jesus tells us in John chapter 6. Two verses I want to pick out, but you can read the whole thing for yourself. John 6, 37, Jesus says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. He says, there are those that the Father has given to me and they will come. Not might do, not hopefully, look, you know, if you do it right, they will come come to me. And one translation says, they will definitely come to me. And Jesus says, and whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. He then says in a few verses later in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come unless the Father is drawing them and I'll raise them up on the last day. So we can have a certainty that there are people out there that the Father is drawing and they will come. And when you share the gospel with those people, they will respond. And when you don't see a response, chill, 
God is not calling them right now. It's okay. You didn't muck up. You didn't stuff up. It wasn't that you weren't good enough. It wasn't that it wasn't a miracle. God will do his work. All that the Father gives to Jesus will definitely come to him. No one's going to be able to come unless the Father is drawing them. And so we can take the pressure off of you and me to produce results. All of our society is about producing results. And you know what? Jesus' pressure is not about producing results. It's about being faithful. When, when, when Jesus spoke to the, in the parable of the talents and people came at the end, the, the message that they were told was, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what God looks for, is faithfulness. Faithfulness to just try and share the gospel, to give it a go, to know that probably they won't accept it. That's fine. But God has got people out there. There are divine appointments for you and for me that he has set aside that says, I want to draw that person. Son, daughter, would you go and share your faith? I want to draw them. And what we do is like the sower of the seed, we scatter and we scatter and we scatter. And when that seed, when that gospel message falls on the fertile soil, it will take root. There will be new life, new birth will occur, a new soul will enter into heaven and they will be raised up on the last day. When you speak to someone that the Father is drawing, they will respond, not because of you, but because of him. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for us that we would be faithful servants and that we would take this gospel call. Would you join with me in praying? Lord, I want to confess to you my reluctance, my fears, my anxieties, my feelings of inadequacy. Lord, I want to confess to you the times when I've shied away from an opportunity to share the gospel. And Lord, I want to confess to you that this word preaches to me as much as it does anybody else. Lord, help remove this pressure that I've got to say the right thing. Lord, thank you that that is not the truth. Lord, remove this pressure that if just that one miracle could happen, that one breakthrough, then they'd get them. Lord, release us from that lie. And Lord, help us to focus on your story. Jesus, you came to earth, lived a sinless life, paid the price on the cross for my sins that I would be set free. You rose from dead to life so that I could have new life in you, Lord. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that that message saved me. That gospel truth is what saved me, Lord. And thank you that gospel truth is what saved anybody who's listening to this. And that gospel truth is what will save people. Lord, would you help us to share that truth? to declare it boldly and clearly and say, repent, leave your sins behind, put your faith in Jesus Christ, let him pay the price for your sins and enter into eternal rest with him. Lord, equip us, I pray. And at this season, Lord, I pray for opportunities. Lord, that we would have opportunities to share about the gospel story, Lord, at this Christmas time, I pray. Lord, for everything we're doing with neighbours and friends, any person in the workplace, what we're doing in our community, Lord, I pray that it would get to Jesus, Lord. May we not just get as far as a present or a God bless you, but may we get to Jesus and may the gospel power be declared, I pray. Amen.